This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 256. Well, it's Sunday once again. Today is June 12th, 2022. And as usual, I'm covering the latest news and rumors roundup from the big four rumor sites of Canon rumors, Nikon rumors, Fuji rumors, and Sony Alpha rumors. So let's head on over to Canon rumors and see what they have for us this week. First up is a Canon EOS R100 coming next year. A budget EOS R APS-C camera. This is a CR1, which means take it with a grain of salt. With the recent announcements of the highly anticipated Canon EOS R7 and R10 cameras, along with the new RFS lenses, Canon has shown that they're all in on APS-C RF mount cameras. Are they done for now? It's not likely, as the first rumor of a Canon EOS R100 have hit the web. We do think a camera body under the Canon EOS R10 is very likely. We could also see it more closely resemble the Canon EOS M50 Mark II or the Canon EOS M6 Mark II in form factor. The EOS M lineup of cameras was designed by the PowerShot group within Canon, and with the PowerShot line, pretty much we imagine those people have moved on to new teams. So we could get a reimagination of what a super compact ILC from Canon looks like. This could also uh, signal the evolution of the Rebel name. The Canon EOS R100 specifications, now this is only rumored, 24.2 million pixel APS-C CMOS sensor, 4K 30p 8-bit, 14 frames per second continuous shooting speed, 3-inch 104 million dot vari-angle monitor. There is no HDR PQ mode like the EOS R10, scheduled to be released in Q1 or Q2 of 2023. Now, again, this is a CR1, so this is the lowest level of rumor, basically, as the previous owner of Can Rumors always said, when to CR1, kind of take it with a grain of salt, but hey, you never know. Next up, patent Canon RF APS-C Pancake Prime Lens Optical Formulas. It looks like Canon will be bringing one or more RFS Prime Lenses for the Canon EOS R7 and R10. One of the most requested RFS lenses is, unsurprisingly, a pancake lens. Keith at Northlight Images uncovered a patent for the at the USPTO with what looks to be an RFS pancake optical formulas. None of these, uh, I'm not sure why it says none of these. Anyways, Canon RFS 14mm f2.8 focal length 14.28mm. F number of 2.90, half angle of view, 51.88 degrees, image height, 18.20 millimeters, total lens length, 57.50 millimeters, image sensor to the front element, with a back focus of 10.97 millimeters. The Canon RFS 16 millimeter F2.8, focal length, 16.48 millimeters, F number 2.90, half angle of view, 47.84 degrees, image height, 18.20 millimeters, Total lens length, 63.19 millimeters, image sensor to front element with a back focus of 12.54 millimeters. Then we have the Canon RFS 10 millimeter 2.8 focal length. I don't know why it says focal length 18.2 if it's a 10 millimeter lens. I'm assuming it's supposed to be 10.20 millimeters. F number 2.90, half angle of view, 45 degrees, image height, 18.20 millimeters, total lens length, 63.45 from the image sensor to front element with a back focus of 12.94 millimeters. And the final one, a Canon RFS 20 millimeter F2.8, focal length, 20.10 millimeters, F number 2.90, half angle of view, 48.31 Image height, 18.20 millimeters with a total lens length of 63.99 millimeters from the image sensor to the front element 
and a back focus of 11.16 millimeters. So definitely some interesting pancake lens formula options for Canon RFS glass. And last from Canon Rumors for this week, deal Canon RF 600mm F11 ISSTM 559, regular price 699, and Canon RF 800mm F11 ISSTM 719, regular 899. The Canon USA store is having a sale on refurbished copies of the RF 600mm and 800mm F11 ISSTM lenses. These would be perfect for your wildlife and bird shooting. We have used both of these lenses, and they're a revelation, especially for the price. If you can get yourself some distance between your subject and the background, you can get very pleasing out-of-focus areas. These lenses are small and light for super, super telephoto focal lengths. The Canon RF 800mm F11 ISSTM key features first compact and lightweight 800mm super telephoto RF lens. Excellent portability made easier with the extending, retracting, locking lens barrel design. Gapless double layer diffractive optics or DO reduce chromatic aberrations for high image quality. High end image quality at a fixed F11 aperture. Optical image stabilization with up to four stops of shake correction. Lead screw type STM enables smooth autofocusing auto for still images and video. Control ring for direct setting changes in a 12-pin communication system. And again, it's currently on sale for $719 for a refurbished one down from $899. For the Canon RF 600mm key features, first compact and lightweight 600mm super telephoto RF lens, excellent portability made easier with extending and retracting locking lens barrel design, gapless double layer diffractive optics DO, reduced chromatic aberration for high image quality, very high image quality at a fixed F11 aperture, optical image stabilization with up to five stops of shade correction. Lead screw type STM enables smooth autofocusing for still image and video shooting, control ring for direct setting changes in 12 pin communication system. The RF 600 millimeter again is 559 down from its regular 699 and all refurbished gear from the Canon USA store come with a full one year Canon USA warranty. So keep that in mind, but as always, Canon USA's refurbished gear tends to sell out very quickly. So if you want to get one of these lenses for a deal, you better pull the trigger fast. And now we'll head on over to Nikon Rumors and see what they have for us this week. First up, the new Nissan MG60 Professional Compact Flash for Nikon cameras is now in stock. This new compact professional flash is in stock at Adorama B&H. Calumet DE, Photocotch, Wex UK. Last year, Nikon announced collaborations with Nissan and ProPhoto. Now, for B&H Photo, it does say it's a special order item, so just so you're aware of that, keep that in mind if you contact B&H or go to their website to get one. Next up, Nikon MC CF660G CF Express Type B memory card officially released. Nikon has officially released this compact flash type B memory card. Pre-orders are now open at Adorama and B&H Photo. There is the press release here from June 8th. Let's see, high capacity and high speed read write rates optimal for video recording. From Tokyo on June 8th, 2022, Nikon Corporation is pleased to announce the release of the MC-CF660G memory card. The 660G is a CF Express Type B memory card with a large capacity of 660 gigabytes. It realizes a high speed read rate of approximately 1700 megabits per second maximum and a high speed write rate of approximately 1500 megabits per second maximum. It is the perfect memory card for recording video and stills with an Icon Z9 full frame FX format mirrorless camera and especially ideal for recording video in the 8.3K 60 frame per second and RAW format and for video recording over extended periods of time. Nikon will continue to contribute to development of imaging culture with the hope of expanding the possibilities for imaging expression. So there you have it. This memory card is now available for pre-orders directly from Nikon via Adorama or B&H. And I'm sure other retailers will be involved before too long. Nikon Nikkor Z 800mm f6.3 lens review. 
Let's see. Lens reviews and additional coverage. The lens is already shipping. Jeffrey Lebeck has done several blog posts on the new 800mm Z lens. And you can find the links to all of those in this article in the show notes. The Nikkor uh, Z 800mm F63 VRS lens review at ePhotozine, quote, whether shooting long-range sports, birds, or animals, then the extra reach of the 800mm lens can make all the difference. It is still important to be in the right place, as on its own, no lens can be long enough, but being able to fill the frame with small birds from a reasonable distance is amazing. It comes at a cost, of course, but those who are dedicated to long-range shooting will find here a great lens at a very reasonable price, relative to the hugely more expensive larger aperture options. The Synchro VR is incredibly efficient, and this makes handheld shooting a viable option as well. Overall, another fine Z-Series offering from Nikon, and one that can be highly recommended. Pros, excellent sharpness, reasonable weight and bulk, effective VR or vibration reduction, usable handheld, phase Fresnel lens element for reduced CA, low vignetting, low distortion, low flare, fast and whisper quiet AF, weather sealing, programmable control ring, and memory buttons. Cons, large lens needs practice to handle easily, potential PF flare, price inevitably high. And then we have from Digital Camera World, quote, this lens gives you telephoto superpowers in a relatively lightweight package. The downsized build comes courtesy of a modest F63 aperture rating and a phase Fresnel front L optical element uh, technology that's commonly used to focus beams in the lighthouse. The addition of a highly effective optical VR that works in tandem with the IBIS and a Z-System full-frame camera plus a useful range of handling extras ensure top quality results time after time with excellent consistency, even in handheld shooting. When you need to nail the definitive moment in action sports and wildlife photography, this is a lens you can count on. And for less than half the price, the Nikon Z 400mm f2.8 TCVRS lens. Pros, super fast autofocus, pro-grade build and handling, excellent image of excellent image quality. Cons, modest F63 aperture, necessarily big build, pricey, but a great value. And from Camera Labs, they say, quote, Nikon Z800 millimeter F63 VRS is a very good super telephoto, which is smaller and much lighter and more affordable than the rival lenses for sports and wildlife photography. The lens produces very sharp images with virtually no field curvature or color aberrations and can confidently be used wide open. Combined with Nikon Z TC 1.4X teleconverter, it still delivers sharp images, but some acuity is lost. Its bokeh is very nice, and the optical image stabilization of five stops proves really helpful with the challenges of hand-holding an 800mm lens. This is also helped by being only half the weight of its predecessor, the AFS 800mm F6, uh, 5.6E FLED VR Alphabet Soup Lens. All this makes the Z800 6.3 VRS a unique lens, which rightfully earns a highly, rec uh, highly recommended. Good points, amazing short and light for an 800mm f6.3, very good resolution contrast across the full frame, good image quality with the ZTC 1.4 times teleconverter, very effective optical image stabilization, very good close-up performance, practically no longitudinal color aberrations or purple fringing, only little vignetting and no distortions through lens profile. Very little field curvature, very nice bokeh, weather sealing, multifunction ring, function buttons, focus limiter, nice lens pouch, bad points, minimum objective distance of five meters, relatively strong focus breathing, tripod foot is not Arca Swiss compatible. So there you have it. And let's see, still the best selling lens at uh, Yodobashi Camera. And there also are some YouTube reviews in this article in the show notes that you can check out for yourself from various YouTube channels. Next up, Nikon D300X and D5, or D3X, D5X product lines are now officially discontinued. 
Nikon sent official notice to stores indicating that the Nikon D3 series and D5 series product lines are now officially discontinued. This also explains the latest rumor about a new Nikon Z30 APS-C mirrorless camera. So if you're looking to get a D3500 or 5600, they are listed as discontinued. So if you want to get one, you better pull the trigger fast before inventory is gone. The new Viltrox AF13mm f1.4 STM lens for Nikon Z mount reached its funding goal on Indiegogo. The new Viltrox lens for the Nikon Z mount reached its goal on Indiegogo of 101% of 19,112 flexible gold. See all the details and offers on the Viltrox AF13 1.4 FTA STM lens at Indiegogo's page, which you can find in this article in the show notes. You can also go to the Viltrox official website. Additional information and pictures of this lens uh, for the Nikon Z mount are included in this article in the show notes, and you can check it out for yourself right along with the MTF chart. Next up, Mike releases a new 12mm f2 wide-angle manual focus APS-C lens for the Nikon Z mount. Mike released this new lens that replaces the previous version. The aperture range is f2 to f16. Focal length is 12 millimeters. Filter thread is 62 millimeters. Weight of 277 grams. Minimum focusing distance 0.2 meters. Lens structure, nine groups, 12 elements, including two spherical lenses. Diagonal, 97. Available for E, X, Micro Four Thirds, EF, M, and Z mount with a price tag of $189. Mike lenses are sold to B&H Photo and Amazon, so you can check that out for yourself. Next up, Nikon is rumored to announce two new cameras this year, Nikon Z30 and I don't know. Nikon is rumored to announce two new cameras this year, most likely one of them APS-C and one full frame. The two Nikon cameras were already recently registered online. I'm pretty sure the first camera will be the rumored Nikon Z30 coming later this month with the new 400mm f4.5Z lens. The second camera? Well, it's complicated. I've received several different reports and they do not match the worst case scenario for a rumor site. Here are the possible options. A new cheap entry-level Nikon Z52 or Nikon Z4. Not likely entry-level full-frame cameras are not popular anymore. Many companies are now concentrating on APS-C mirrorless products again. New Nikon Z63 with 30-plus megapixel sensor. Nikon is done with 24-megapixel sensors, and all future cameras will have a higher megapixel count. New Nikon Z8 camera. I never liked those Z8 rumors. It's just too early for Nikon to start cannibalizing their Z9 sales. They still have many open Z9 pre-orders that will not be filled anytime soon. The idea of a new Z8 is similar to what Nikon did with the D850, a high megapixel camera and a smaller body, no grip for less money. My confusion here comes from the fact that we already have the Nikon Z7 II. Nikon has to either abandon the Z7 line and release the Z8 or improve the Z7 line. I simply do not see how these two product lines can coexist. The only possible scenario is to drop the price of the Z7 and make a marginal update, Z7 III, and move all the new tech to a new Z8 body that requires a premium price. I just don't know for now. What do you think? What full-frame mirrorless camera makes sense for Nikon to release right now? I don't know. I'm kind of torn on that. I could see them doing a Z7 III. I don't think they're going to do a Z8, but well, I could be wrong. I'm usually right, but hey, there's a first time for everything. And last up from Nikon rumors for this week, lens collar tripod mount for the Nikon Nikkor ZMC 105mm f2.8 VRS lens. A reader sent me an email about this lens collar tripod mount option for the Nikon Nikkor ZMC 105. Quote, unfortunately, the current Nikon Z105 does not have a tripod collar. However, it is dispensable for my phot photographic work. That's why I thought about it and developed one with the technician. I wrote a few lines about this on my website and named a few reference addresses for those who are interested. 
Google translated the lens series for the mirrorless Nikon Z system is continuously being completed. I'm very pleased with the Nikkor Z MC 105mm lens. This means that a newly calculated macro lens is available for the Z system. After the lens arrived, I made two main observations. After the first shot, I found that the optical quality is outstanding with a close-up limit of 0.29 meters. An image scale of 1 to 1 can be achieved. A very fast and precise autofocus is very helpful support. The lens is very light with only 630 grams. I find the warm gear when uh, the warm gear when focusing to be very pleasant so that manual focus can be done smoothly. However, there is also significant or sufficient resistance that supports intuitive and precise work. What really fascinates me is the vibrant and interesting bokeh. So far, I have taken macro and portrait shots with the lens, and I was amazed by the exciting naturalness of the image results. Mistakes of the past were repeated. Again, the lens has no tripod collar. It is beyond me how the designers of the lens could work past such an important element of a macro subject. In my opinion, every macro lens should always have a tripod mount with an Arca Swiss compatible foot. How else are you supposed to switch from portrait to landscape format without destroying the entire image structure? Incidentally, all previous 200 macro lenses naturally had such a device, and Canon also offers such a clamp as an optional accessory for its current RF 2.8 100mm macro. So it's good that Rainier Berzinski... Uh, Brzezinski, the Swiss Army knife for all seemingly unsolvable tasks in nature photography. So I called Rainier and discussed with him how wonderful the lens would be if we could expand it with a practical tripod color. After a detailed exchange of ideas and a few sketches, Rainier said, first of all, I'll build something like this. A prototype arrived a few days later. It fulfills the desired purpose, but still bumped a little on the camera handle. After another update, the construction was perfect. The camera can now be rotated from portrait to landscape format without changing the image structure. In addition, the lens camera unit can be wonderfully balanced on the ball head with approximately 10 centimeter long tripod plate. And last but not least, the tripod plate can be used like an adjustable slide. You can easily change the distance to the object by a few centimeters at close range without having to adjust the tripod. In terms of construction, the Z9, uh, Z67 can be used just as easily as the Z9. The device costs around 180 and can be obtained directly from Rainier. So if you're interested in one of these, you can check out this article in the show notes. And the lens can be ordered at in the U.S. at Arama, B&H Photo, and Amazon. In the U.K. at Wex and Park Cameras. And Germany at Calumet and Photo Earnhardt. And Canada at Camera Canada. And that's going to wrap up everything from Nikon Rumors for this week. I'm going to take a short break, and then we'll move on to Fuji Rumors. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. And now we'll head on over to Fuji Rumors and see what Patrick has for us this week. First up, Fujifilm XH2S. Enjoy one minute of new autofocus tracking glory. Announcement days are extremely busy and so much content is spilled out all at once. In fact, there is so much out there that most just watch the videos of the biggest channels and skip out on the others. This means that it's easy to miss out on something. And quite frankly, smaller channels can sometimes kick out better content and coverage than well-known and established ones. Well, today I'd highlight one review that I am not sure how many of you have seen. It comes from TB Photography, who runs an 11K subscriber channel. Uh, 
It's worth a watch, but for the purposes of this article, I'd like to focus your attention on the part that shows subject and animal tracking at work, and that's at the 11.16-minute mark to 12.16. For being pre-production, I believe the Fujifilm X-H2S did an outstanding job, especially with pre-AF turned on. And again, it's pre-production, so it can only get better from here on. Go see by yourself. The video below will start at 11.16 for one minute of the new AF tracking glory. The Fujifilm X-H2S can be pre-ordered at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Moment, and Focus Camera. The Fujinon XF 150 to 600 at the same retailers. The Fujinon XF 18 to 120 at the same retailers. And the Fujifilm cooling fan for the X-H2S at the same retailers minus Focus Camera. So there you have it. Next up, bird tracking with the Fujifilm X-H2S with the XF 150-600 to in complex conditions and autofocus on par with Sony and company. Just yesterday, I reported about a video by TB Photography who in one minute was able to give us more clues about the real autofocus performance of the Fujifilm X-H2S than some of the biggest YouTube channels in 20 minutes of talks, and in some cases, without showing any samples. And since smaller YouTube channels seem to often stay on the piece better than the big ones, today I'll share a video of an even smaller YouTube channel, in fact, so small that this time even I missed this video, but a fellow Fuji Rumors reader made, it notice, made notice of it to me today. Passionate bird photographer, Lewick, Nature runs an 860 subscriber channel with a hundred with hundreds of bird photography videos. He posted a five minute video of birds tra bird tracking with the new Fujifilm XH2S and the XF 150 to 600 at five six to eight. A lot of it has been taken in tropical forest environment, often in tricky and very low light conditions with a complex and distracting background. And these objectively difficult conditions, he writes, quote, the new system just weighs 2.4 kilograms, which allows us to shoot 150 to 600, which is 225 to 900 millimeter full frame equivalent, which is one of the best available. This system allows me to have less than or greater than 50% success rate. Uh, one 125th at 900 millimeters, which is my recommended, recommended minimum shutter speed for handheld. The AF is fast and accurate on bird's eye. It may not be best in the market, but it's very good and accurate, even in low light and complex environments. For the autofocus, I think this is a huge upgrade compared to previous X-Series. The animal detection, just simply amazing. Keep in mind that this is the success mentioned as shooting at 900 millimeters. In my eyes, it already looks pretty amazing. And considering that this is an early pre-production firmware on both the camera and the lens, I guess it can only get better from this point on until the final firmware is released. Now, you can find the video down below in his blog post about his experience at lewickphoto.com. And you can find those links in the show notes. The eye autofocus. The second video below uh, is Lee Zabitz, who uses the Fujifilm X-H2 with the XF 18 to 120 F4 for a portrait session. And he says that IAF is crazy and it detects the eye even when the eyes are mostly blocked by their hair. He says he is really impressed by eye detection and did not expect it to be this good. And it's still beta firmware, but is on par with competitors in terms of eye detect autofocus. So some amazing news about the new XH2S and the 150 to 600, as well as the 18 to 120. Sounds like Fuji is really crushing it with this new gear. Next up, decrypting Fujifilm manager statement, quote, no other camera platform more suitable to have both fifth-gen sensors than the X-H series. Now, I've rewatched the Fujifilm X Summit, and right at the end, I noticed a sentence that I think we have to investigate further on what it could mean. When talking about the two new fifth-generation X-Trans sensors, the 26-megapixel stack sensor and the 40-megapixel non-stack sensor that will both be featured in the next H line, the manager says, and quote, and there is no other camera platform more suitable to have them both than the X-H series. I did try to wrap my head around this sentence to try to get at what he really meant. I see the following as two possible options. 
That means that only the XH line will offer both fifth-generation sensor options as other platforms are not suitable to have them both. As a consequence to this, all other camera lines will get either one or the other sensor, but not both. Two, it means that since the XH line is the most suitable of all, it will be the first line to get both fifth-gen sensors and other camera lines that might eventually also feature both options will come only after the XH2S and the XH2. What do you think is the most appropriate interpretation of this sentence? Feel free to vote in the survey down below. And you can find this in the article in this uh, week's show notes and vote for yourself. Update, IMX671 is not the sensor of the Fujifilm X-H2S. Back on May 31st, an anonymous source sent me the sensor sheet for a new IMX671 sensor by Sony. I was skeptical, and considering our approach to be as accurate as possible, I decided not to share it. I also received the one for the Fujifilm X-H2, and also that one I did not share. Sharing probably fake stuff just for clicks is not what we do here on Fuji Rumors. But I guess once the anonymous source noticed Fuji Rumors would not be tricked to publish it, it started sending that file to several websites who, hungry for clicks, all published it, giving it for granted that this is Fujifilm XH2 censor sheet. At that point, I had to publish it too, but more because I wanted to warn you that I am very skeptical about it. So I did what Fuji Rumors does best. I verified. Well, I can now say with 110% certainty that the IMX671 is not the sensor for the Fujifilm X-H2S. And also, the other sensor sheet I received, which the anonymous contact said is for the X-H2, is 110% not for the X-H2. In fact, I don't know if they even exist or if they are just made up. Or they are just sensors for other cameras. Maybe Sony, but certainly not Fuji. What I can tell you for sure is that none of them is for the Fujifilm X-H2S or the X-H2. In a future not all too distant, I will tell you, uh, let's see, I will let you know the IMX definition for both sensors. In a way, you'll see with your own eyes that this was just a fake. Our commitment to our readers in these years, I have seen all possible fakes. Websites who claim the XH line has been axed, but now we got even two of them. Websites spreading rumors about nonsense lenses like the Fujinon GF56 5.6 and much more. The reason why this happens is simple. They want your attention, your time, and your money. And every way to achieve that is legit in their eyes. Yes, they know they fool you, but they don't care as long as it brings them profit. The only rumors they get right are the ones they copy from Fuji rumors without quotes, of course. But here on Fuji rumors, we don't share fake rumors as we don't take this kind of shortcut to get your attention and increase traffic. Our commitment to you, we want to respect your time, and if you honor us with your time, then we want to deserve it by working hard and good, day and night, article after article. I know that this is a hard way to succeed, as spreading sensational fake rumors would be a guarantee for traffic. And you can always talk yourself out of it by saying, hey, it's a rumor, doesn't have to be accurate. But that's not who we are. I just have too much respect for you, my readers, and your time. And I applaud Patrick for that. That's one of the reasons why I really enjoy his site. Next up, Fujifilm recommended CF Express Type B cards, why these four cards are best and which ones you should not use. With the release of the Fujifilm X-H2S and hence Fujifilm's first digital camera to take CF Express cards, Fujifilm has updated its list of officially recommended cards to store your files. Now, all the cards listed below are recommended, but attention, not all CF Express cards are made equal. Some CF Express Type B cards can't record 6K or 4K. Some can record 6K, 4K, but not in ProRes. Some can record all video formats, but when used for bursts, don't last as long as others. Only four card models can do it all and do it best. Also, CF Express cards not listed here are not properly tested by Fujifilm. This means they could perform very well as well. 
but they could also have a negative impact on the performance of the camera or even not work with certain features. This is important to know, as I have already seen reviewers using the Pergear CF Express Type B card in their X-H2S first looks. Whatever those reviewers say in terms of performance, please take it with a grain of salt as they use cards that are not on Fuji's list. If you treat yourself with a Fujifilm X-H2S, please stick to the recommended CF Express Type B cards and also UHS-2 cards listed below. CF Express cards that are officially recommended by Fujifilm are the Delkin Black, Delkin Power, ProGrade Cobalt 1700R, the ProGrade Gold 1700R, SanDisk Extreme Pro, Sony Tough, Sun East Ultimate Pro, Lexar Gold, and Lexar Diamond. Out of all the cards mentioned above, the four cards without any compromise in performance are the Delkin Black from 64 to 650 gigs, the ProGrade Cobalt 1700R from 325 to 650 gigs, the Lexar Gold from 128 to 512 gigs, and the Lexar Diamond from 128 to 256 gigs. In order for you to get the complete overview, I have added the full detailed chart at the bottom of this article. Also for UHS-2 cards. Officially supported UHS-2 cards are the Delkin Black V90, the Delkin Power V90, the Lexar 1667X Silver, the Lexar 1800X Gold, ProGrade Cobalt 300R V90, the ProGrade Gold 250R V60, the SanDisk Extreme Pro 300 V90, the Sony SF-EV60, the Sony Tough SFG V90, and the Sun East Ultimate Pro V90. You can find all the latest and greatest gear at B&H Photo, Amazon, Adorama, Moment, and Focus Camera. And there is a full chart of confirmed CF Express Type B cards and UHS-2 cards, which you can find in this article in the show notes for today's episode. Deal alert! Save up to $130 on Fujifilm top-recommended CF Express Type B cards ends on June 11th. So I apologize, it ended yesterday. I won't bore you with the rest of the story because we already missed it. My bad. Next up, five-day deal, video bundle launch. Spend $98 and get $2,100 worth in video education. The five-day deal video bundle is just launched, and once again, you can save lots of money. Check out what you get for $98, and you can find the link in this article in the show notes. Now, remember, the five-day deal does only run for about three days, so if you want to get it, you better jump on it quickly before time runs out. Next up, Fujifilm X-H2S autofocus tracking versus X-T4 for wildlife and performance on older XF lenses like the FX56 F1.2 included. And you can watch this autofocus test by Lee Guides Fujifilm on his official YouTube channel. The French channel Lee Guides Fujifilm has published a video about the Fujifilm X-H2S autofocus performance under many different scenarios. It's 40-minute video where he tests the X-H2S versus the X-T4 eye-face tracking, X-H2S tracking a running dog, tracking kids running and on bicycles, tracking wildlife at 40 frames per second, 30 frames per second, tracking dogs and kids, how good several Fujinon lenses work on the X-H2S, low-light stills tracking in a circus, low-light video tracking in a circus, lots of stuff, right? You don't have time to right now to watch it all? Well, for your convenience, we made a summary down below, and I'll also give you timestamps so you can jump on the section that interests you the most. Note one, when he scrolls very quickly through the images, you see them on sharp. This happens because his computer is not rendering at full res. When he stops on an image, it gets full rendered and becomes very sharp. Note two, I speak four languages, but sadly, French is not one of them, although I understand it a bit. In case any French FR reader notices an error or wants to add something, feel free to let me know in the comments. Video summary, 3.45 to 6.51 minutes, face eye autofocus walking away and towards the camera. X-T4 does not really do a very good job. The X-H2S sticks like a champ. 665 to 748, dog eye detection and eye detection on kids, static subjects, no problem for the X-H2S. 748 to 828, tracking kid running far away, then coming towards camera again with bicycle. No problem for the X-H2S. 
828 to 836, dog running fast towards the camera. XH2S does a great job. I can spot two short hesitations, but rapidly focusing again on the dog. 836 to 909, again, tracking kit on bicycle and running. XH2S has no problem with that. 909 to 12.24, wildlife tracking includes antelope, gazelle, gnu, lion, rhino, ostrich, monkey, and birds. XH2S recognizes the animals, sometimes the full body, sometimes the face. In the case of the lion, the rhino, the monkey, and an ostrich, it detects the eye. 12.53 to 14.27, 40 frame per second tracking, very fast running dog. Only 16% of the images are not good. The Fujifilm X-T4 was totally incapable of tracking like this. Now it's a child game to make action tracking. 14.58 to 16.07, bird tracking. He says 40 frames per second is almost too much. He prefers 30 frames. 16.08 to 16.55, tracking kid running and on bicycle, even during zooming, it keeps tracking. 1737 to 1915 issues with tracking a lion and a monkey. At this point, he made clear that he does not want us to believe that it was always everything perfect. There were times it hesitated. For example, in an occasion when photographing a lion standing still, for some reason, he got a lot of misses. He also shows samples of tracking a monkey where it got confused. Keep in mind that this is pre-production firmware. Fujifilm pretty much delivers daily updates these days that do nothing else than improving the camera performance. I don't know how often he was able to update firmware while on safari in Africa. But let's move on. At minute 1953, he says which lenses perform best. He makes clear that lenses might not yet have full firmware capability or compatibility with the X-H2S. Test condition, 30 to 40 frames per second with run, kid running towards camera. The XF 50 to 140 and XF 16 to 55. The 50 to 140, 187 images, only one was out of focus. The 16 to 55, 221 pictures, all images crystal clear and sharp focus. The XF 33, 1.4, 7% out of focus. The XF 90 F2, 25% images out of focus, including slightly out of focus. He thought it would have done a better job. The XF 56 millimeter F1.2, 35% of blurry images. If you ask me, and as a 56 owner myself, that's surprisingly good. I never had thought it could get 65% of the images 100% in focus at 30 frames per second on a fast-moving subject. Overall, he was amazed by the performance, even with older lenses. At 2615 to 2654, kid jumping in a pool, easy peasy for the X-H2S. 2735 to 3149, circus stills tested in low light, no loss in performance. It tracks like it would in good light. When the artists made their tricks and their faces were towards the camera, the X-H2S tracked with face eye tracking, and when they turned, it kept tracking their heads. It nailed all the images and was not distracted by the lights all around the artist. Using the 56 F1.2 in the circus, 25% are not perfectly in focus, but with 30 to 40 frames per second, you get so many images that you'll still have enough sharp photos to pick from. Smoke and lights did not disturb the AF tracking. At 33.46 to 35.50 minutes, circus video kit on bicycle. Also, video AF tracking worked well. Also, here there can be short hesitations, though. Hesitations and stills are easier to forgive as you have hundreds to pick from. He shot 28 minutes of video, low-light circus, and there were maybe 30 seconds of hesitations. This would be 1.7% of the 28-minute video show hesitations, and 98.3% are solid and in focus. He did not notice any pumping. A small percentage of videos he took had the camera focused shortly away from subject and then back again. The reviewer says that it's not final firmware, and he's sure that there will be further improvements. Autofocus is superb, but further firmware can make it perfect. He said that he was using Fujifilm less and less because other brands had superior autofocus, and it's hard to go back once you had that kind of AF performance. But now, in his opinion, autofocus is very close to the Nikon Z9, with the Nikon having still less hesitation in video. Now, Fujifilm joins Sony, Canon, and Nikon with its AF performance. My current gas condition. I guess the part that shows how the XF56 1.2 got new life thanks to the new autofocus system did trigger my gas most of all, gear acquisition syndrome. 
Now that my son is starting to run around, I'd love to have such a reliably and accurately at F1.2 with my 56 millimeter, which until now I mostly use only for static or not fast moving people. But I will try to resist and I ask you guys not to trigger my gas further in the comments. <laughs> uh, poor Patrick. And last up from Fuji Rumors for this week, the Mike 12mm F2 for the Fujifilm X-Mount. Mike has announced the 12mm F2 for the Fujifilm X-Mount, aperture range F2 to F16, focal length 12mm, filter thread 62mm, weight 277 uh, grams, minimum focusing distance of 0.2 meters, lens structure, nine groups, 12 elements, including two spherical elements, diagonal 97. Basically the same specs as the sister article from Sony Rumors. Uh, or, I mean, uh, yeah, from, uh, no, Nikon Rumors, my bad. All right, that's going to wrap up Fuji Rumors, and now we'll head on over to Sony Alpha Rumors to wrap up this episode. First up, new Father's Day deals at B&H Photo and new Sony rebates. All Father's Day deals can be found on the new special B&H Photo page, which you can find in this link in the article in the show notes. The deals do include up to $600 off on Sony cameras and lenses at B&H Photo, Adorama, and Amazon, and up to $200 off on Tamron lenses at B&H Photo, Adorama, and Amazon. So you can check all those Father's Day savings out for yourself. and Get Dad that perfect gift. Next up, the new Sony 16 to 35 millimeter FE lens tested by Sony Alpha Blog, the Digital Digest, and Photography Blog. This is a new item coming soon for $1,399.99. Um, you can pre order it at BH Photo, uh, Adorama, Amazon, Calumet DE, Focus Camera, Photocotch DE, Wex UK, and Calumet NL. Sony Alpha Blog concluded, quote, the PZ 16-35 F4G is a very good all-around 16-35 zoom and excellent in video. For photos, if you go with the Sony FE 16-35 F2.8GM, you'll gain only in the corners and only at 50-61 mix. For video production, the PZ 16-35 F4G is more handy on a day-to-day -day than, uh, than the excellent but very bulky Sony FEC 16-35 T3.1, which is more reserved for static production on a tripod. The photography blog concluded, overall, the FE PZ 16-35 F4G is a better fit for videographers than photographers, who may not appreciate the slower, looser, unlabeled power zoom control, which replaces the traditional zoom, mechanical zoom. On the other hand, it's precisely that technological development which makes the FEPZ 16-35 F4G the smallest ultra-wide angle zoom lens currently available for Sony Alpha full-frame cameras. So even photographers who only ever shoot stills should seriously consider this lens for its unique blend of portability, features, and image quality. And there is also a YouTube video from the Digital Digest that you can watch on this lens. And you can find that in the show notes for this episode. Alex Fan is testing the 600mm, 400mm, and 135mm GM lenses on the Nikon Z. Alex Fan got the new Megadap ETZ21 Sony E to Nikon Z autofocus adapter sold at megadap.net. He is using his best GM lenses on the Nikon Z9, and this is his feedback. Full AF on all focus area. IAF works super fast. Let's just say it works almost like the native lenses 95% of the time. Still misses AF here and there, but that is on a Z9. It is one of the best adapters to date that will be able to drive the linear motor of the 600mm GM like a native Sony camera. And he does also have a YouTube video here, as well as some still images that you can check out in this article in the show notes for yourself. Next up, Tokina SZ 33mm F1.2 focus breathing test and image samples. You can download three full-size image samples at the link in this article in the show notes, which is from Dropbox. And you can watch the YouTube video from Tokina Global and get all the details in the video for yourself. 
Nikon Z9 versus Sony A1 versus Canon R3. Some more comparison YouTube videos that you can check out. One from Manny Ortiz and one's from one from Lens Pro to go. So you can check those out in the show notes. Next up, the new Viltrox 13mm f1.4 reviews. The new lens is available at Indiegogo, and there are three new reviews. One is from Jason Herman, Sony Alpha Lab. One is from Arthur R. And the third one is from Christopher Frost. And you can check all those out in this article in the show notes for yourself. And last up from Sony Alpha Rumors for this week, Mark Edelhaff. Edelhef reviewed the three Sony APS-C lenses. Pre-orders are available for the 10 to 20 at B&H Photo, Adorama, Amazon, Focus Camera, Photocotch DE, Photo Earnhardt DE, Calumet DE, and Wex UK. Same retailers for the 15mm f1.4 and the 11mm f1.8. The conclusion of his 10 to 20 millimeter review is, quote, for pure photography where critical sharpness and best bokeh is required, the Tamron will be the best one. When video work, compactness, AF speed is key, the Sony PZ will be the best option. His conclusion of the 15 millimeter review is, quote, the Sony is superior on many aspects compared to the Sigma. Better sharpness, wide open, better ergonomics for video, better AF, smaller and lighter, better resistance to flare, lower CA. The Sigma stays very good globally, up to you to see if the Sony improvements are worth two times the price of the Sigma for your needs. And his conclusion on the 11mm review is, quote, the Sony 11mm f1.8 provides the best results globally in terms of sharpness, consistency, smoothness of background blur, and best bokeh balls. The Zeiss 2 at 12mm f2.8 is better in terms of consistency across the whole frame, but less good in terms of background blur. Possibilities, the Tamron 11-20 f2.8 DI3A RXD is on par in terms of sharpness, but one stop slower. The Samyang 12mm f2 is very good globally, but suffers from less uh, than stellar performance in the corners. And that is going to wrap up all the news and rumors for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, and that is going to wrap up episode 256 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing an Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media and elsewhere. And hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new content drops. And I will see you all again on Thursday. <laughs>